ಪ್ರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪ ಭಕ್ತಾಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಮೇಶಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸ ನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಿ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೀತೃತ್ವಣಮಿ ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ರೀಯತಿಜಾಯಕಾನಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವೂಪಾಯ So now, in the seventh chapter, titled The Freedom, Swami Vivekananda will enter into the section where now he is going to deal with the definition of karma yoga the real idea of karma yoga so as we have already seen that that all the actions which we do emanates from the ego from the very beginning of the evolution as in the yoga shastra they speak of the asmita the ego the asmita so from there all our actions evolve from the small microbe to the human being the most evolved human being all the actions starts from emanates from asmita how it happens it's all because of klesha the afflictions the what are the afflictions as has been spoken of in the yoga shastra in the sankhya and the yoga philosophy there are the five afflictions afflictions what are they avidya asmita raga dvesha abhinivesha avidya is the ignorance what is the ignorance that somehow the conscious principle the purusha has came in association with the prakriti with the nature this body the mind everything belongs to the nature and the moment the conscious principle comes in association with the nature each of them gets tinged by the nature of the other the conscious principle which is beyond all limitations beyond all dualities imposes upon itself all the so called dualities in the form of joy sorrow pleasure pain all these dualities it thinks it's it is the thing which it is affected by so that's how the conscious principle is getting affected and the prakriti which is unconscious appears to be conscious the mind which as such is inert appears to be conscious 
So both are taking the trait of the others when they come in association with the, each other. Just as in the scripture, they speak of a wonderful example, a red flower, when in proximity of the prism or any gem, the gem appears to be red because of that red flower. Actually, it has not become red. Just being in presence of the red flower, in association with the red flower, in vicinity of the red flower, it appears to be tinged with a red color. But actually, no transformation has happened. Similarly, the conscious principle appears to be tinged by the nature of the Prakriti. And that's what is Agyana, ignorance. I am identifying myself with something which I am not. So that is the Avidya. From that comes Asmita. The I who am, the conscious principle, now get localized in the body-mind complex. Anything happening in the body-mind complex, I think is happening to me. Anything which sustains the body-mind complex, I think it sustains me. The one who is Trikalavadita, who has no past, no present, no future, who is there through eternity, starts fearing that for with the annihilation of the body, I will be annihilated. I was born at a certain point of time. And as from that, from that asmita, this asmita, this sense of ego, that I am this limited being, this is the asmita, from which comes the next three glaciers, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, attachment, hatred, fear. Abhinivesha actually means the tremendous infatuation with the life. We don't want to die. So this clinging to life is abhinivesha, which speaks indirectly of the fear, the fear of death. So from where it has come? Because of my association with the body, a small microbe in a petri dish. If you are looking through the microscope, you will find a small drop of nutrient. If you put in the center of the petri dish, that microbe is drawn towards it. That what is life? That which responds to stimuli. And while responding to stimuli, the movement comes into picture. The karma comes into picture. So just see why we say that all karma emanates from ego. <clears throat> that moving towards the nutrient, the karma, the first karma is happening. What is because of that asmita, that I am the psychophysical existence, which has to be sustained. Otherwise, I am not sustained. It has to be nourished or I am not nourished. And that results in karma. If instead of the nutrient, I put some toxin, you'll find that the microbe is moving out. <clears throat> the dvesha, the fear of death, abhinivesha, the fight and flight response. Again, it speaks of karma, which is klishta. All the actions which are afflicted, already afflicted, either because of fear or because of hatred, I am running away from it, from microbe till the human being. This is a simple equation which is working. The moment the asmita comes into picture, all our actions are now motivated by the afflictions. These three afflictions, the last three afflictions, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. Raga means attachment, 
either we are attached to the things of life or dvesha and abhinivesha the fight and the flight response we will find that all our actions at last can be defined by these three things either we are attached or we are running away from it we are fighting it or we are running if it is too powerful we are running away from it so that's how that entire our entire personality can be defined by these afflictions karma yoga is something taking this into account the entire process of evolution has happened because of this asmita that swami ji in his words which we ended in the last class the words of swami ji we will again read that to bring this idea home what's that idea a current rushing down of its own nature falls into a hollow and makes a whirlpool this whirlpool is the asmita and after running a little in that whirlpool it emerges again in the form of free current to go on unchecked each human life is like that current it gets into the wheel gets involved in the world of space time and causation wheels round a little crying out my father my brother my name my fame and so on and at last emerges out of it and regains its original freedom the whole universe is doing that whether we know it or not whether we are conscious or unconscious of it that's the thing the entire process of evolution whether we know it or not is going on because of that ignorance we are all working to get out of the dream of the world man's experience in the world is to enable him to get out of its whirlpool so as a human being we have that faculty what's that faculty to realize that it's the ego which i have taken to be the real the ego which is coming from the body mind complex the one conscious principle is constantly asserting the fact that i am free i am eternal i am perfect there is no want for me that's the assertion of the conscious principle which is as if asserting loudly and that is getting echoed from the body mind complex and i think the source of that assertion is the body mind complex from which the echo is coming and i try to realize from that microbit has started till the human being to realize that freedom in that small body in that psychophysical existence which i found was impossible and that's how i was evolving challenging the nature the nature was there imposing limitations on me i was challenging and that challenge proved to be the entire process of evolution as a human being we have the faculty to realize the fact that it's actually the ego which i have taken to be the real and then the question of turning back not from where that sound is coming that's the ego i have been i till now i was directing towards the ego now i just turn around to see to the source from where that assertion is coming and then i find i am already free all this ego 
which I took to be the real was coming from something which is a flow. And there I was trying to realize my freedom. It can never be. I'm already free. Because of my ignorance, I took the ego to be the real. So this attempt to assert my freedom in something which is never possible, that stops. That's the beginning of renunciation. So we in Vedanta do believe in evolution. We never say that at the very beginning of the creation, everything was designed as it is. No, we do have evolved. It's not the design. We completely agree with the theory of evolution, but there is a difference. What that, in the theory of evolution, we find that the growth is as if in a linear, it is just a straight line. It goes on and on. We don't know where this will end. Nowadays, uh, even in uh, modern scientific development, they say that it is almost impossible to find a more evolved creature than the human being in the entire uh, universe. Even if you find life, it cannot be more evolved than the human being. Till now, we had the idea that there are extraterrestrial beings who can be more intelligent, more evolved than us. Nothing has been found. These are all assumptions. But now a wonderful thing they have started saying. It's something very interesting that most probably there cannot be a more evolved being than human being. Why? Because at certain point, the science has also started believing that evolution is no more possible. Why? When we become too intelligent, we become the cause of our own destruction in the physical sense. Throughout the world, you see that we have become so intelligent that we can just with a button, by just pressing the button of a, this, a, this, we can pressing a button, the entire earth can just meet a huge devastation in the form of nuclear explosion. Nothing remains for thousands of years. No life will be possible if really those atomic explosion happens. What all things are going to happen, we cannot even imagine. So at certain point of time, if we become too intelligent, after that, the so-called the evolution is no more possible. We destroy ourselves. We bring about our own annihilation. This is one of the postulates in the modern science. And that's why most probably no uh, being more intelligent than the humans in the entire universe we can find. Most probably we may find some rudimentary form of life somewhere. Till now we haven't found, but we may find, but we can never find a more intelligent being than human. Science is some saying something which spirituality told long, long back, but it has total different intonations. The science is saying physically it is not possible to have something more evolved than the human beings because we are going to destroy. The Vedanta says, yes, we are going to destroy. Not the way we think with the, exp the explosion of the atom bomb. We are going to destroy our limited sense of individuality and to evolve again back to our spiritual freedom. We don't destroy ourselves to the nothingness. We destroy the so-called limited existence to go back 
to again to our source to that our conscious principle by denying our association with the psychophysical existence the world is as long we are as if uh, enchained in the psychophysical existence the way we see the world the moment you just think yourself beyond this psychophysical complex is no more there this the entire galaxies we are seeing the all the solid things the colors everything is a construct of the mind what it is there we don't know so the world as such in this space and time is a limited existence the moment we are beyond that you are but the world is not and your amnes is the only thing that exists and you go back to that which amnes has no beginning no end it is in the eternal present with no need as such for satisfying it for fulfilling it so this is the question of going to that spiritual evolution by renouncing my false attachment with this psychophysical existence so this in spirituality the evolution all is never considered to be linear it is cycle with entire evolution started because of the ignorance it the moment we that ignorance is gone we again go back from where we started to our real original pure conscious nature so that's what swami ji is indicating now he is going to that is if this is the situation is there is a way out what's the way out so there are so many yogas each of the yoga is a way out from this whirlpool so here swami vivekananda as it is a lecture on karma yoga will now just enter into the discussion that what is karma yoga so in the words of swami vivekananda what is karma yoga the knowledge of the secret of work that we have to work but what should be the paradigm the orientation the attitude behind the work that's the secret if we know the same work which binds me can enter my liberation so in bhagavad gita they say yoga karmasu kaushalam so the dexterity the action won't stop we cannot stop it even just for living sharira yatra api yatra api just for sustaining yourself so many actions are going on if you are sitting quietly saying i do nothing your breathing your heart is palpitating your digestion is going on you cannot stop the body as long as it exists it has to work knowingly unknowingly so how i work that's the important thing yoga karmasu kaushalam the knowledge of the secret of work so what is that now swami ji will gradually enter into the discussion we see that the whole universe is working for what ultimately it is for what everyone is for what they are working so in the words of swami ji for salvation for liberty from the atom to the highest being working for the one end liberty for the mind for the body for the spirit all things are always trying to get freedom flying away from bondage the sun the moon the earth the planets 
all are trying to fly away from bondage. The centrifugal and the centripetal forces of nature are indeed typical of our universe. In Vedanta, there are so many uh, postulates by which we go to some conclusion. Assumptions. What's one of the thing? The microcosm and the macrocosm is built in the same plan. In the words of Ramakrishna, when the when you are cooking the rice in water, the rice is boiling. The mother goes and picks up just one rice to see whether it is soft enough. When she sees that it has boiled, it is soft enough. She knows all the rice has been cooked. She doesn't have to pick up all the rice one by one to see whether it has been cooked or not. Just one. So similarly, if you know the way a small sand particle is made, what to speak of sand particle, an atom, how it is working, you know the entire working of the universe. So small, small atom. So here Swami Vivekananda is taking that example, like a small atom. We just, in, with our preliminary knowledge, what's the idea? The electrons are revolving around the nucleus. Any revolving, any motion which is revolving, you will find is what? It consists of two forces, the centripetal and the centrifugal. The centripetal is the tangential force. Some center is there, something is revolving. It is actually trying to move out tangentially. But the centrifugal, the force, is the force which is pulling it towards it. And that's why it's constantly, instead of tangentially moving out, it is going in circle round and round. What it speaks of, that the electron is as if constantly trying to get out of its bondage from the nucleus. The same thing you see the planets. The earth is also trying to tangentially move out. It is the sun which is as if holding it. So the same principle applies everywhere. That's the working of the universe. We are all trying to be free. And that's what we were discussing here. Just take a small microbe. Why it is going towards the nutrient? Why it is going away from the poison? The same reason. I want to enjoy the freedom of eternity in this body. So that's again because of the ignorance. The ignorance is the center which is as if not allowing. It is just going this round and round. This Our urge for liberation as a physical being is the centripetal force. And the desire arising from the ignorance and egotism is the centrifugal force. So just see that microcosm and the microcosm is built in the same manner. It's a plan of the universe. Everywhere it is going on. Because of ignorance, because of the bondage, we cannot fly off. The moment that central force of the bondage is gone, that ignorance is gone, we are free. So that's the each, each and everything in this universe, the galaxies, from small atom to the galaxies. You can explain with this centrifugal and the centripetal force. And even if you come to the spiritual dimension of existence, it is as if the same. The ignorance is the force which is pulling us within the whirlpool. But something within us is constantly asserting the freedom 
It is trying to move out of that bondage. And that's what Swamiji, even just taking this uh, explanation from the science to as if uh, um, consolidate the idea of Vedanta that jaha ache bhande, taha ache brahmande. Whatever is in the microcosm is in the same in the macrocosm. Microcosm and the macrocosm is built in the same plan. Even uh, this idea is in uh, modern science. They call it the holographic universe. Very interesting, holographic. Do you know what is a hologram? Suppose you from a distance you see a cross, the, a drawing of a cross. So you want to know that how the drawing has been done. And at last you go near, you find it is actually dots, innumerable dots with which that cross has been drawn. Now you still magnify each dot and you find each of the dot is actually a cross. So innumerable crosses had made that big cross. And if you again try to magnify that small dot, you will find that again is made of innumerable cross. So that's how it's called the hologram, this holographic universe. The entire universe is holographic. How nicely it speaks of the principle that the microcosm and the macrocosm is built in the same plan as has been spoken of in the Vedanta. Jaha ache bhande, taha ache brahmande. So this is the idea which Swamiji is indicating. You see everywhere, you take up anything from atom to the entire universe, you find the same principle is working and that is working even within us as a human being. Something within us is constantly asserting that freedom, but something is holding us. And that's the ignorance. So the centrifugal and the centripetal forces of nature are indeed typical of our universe. Instead of being knocked about in this universe and after long delay and thrashing, getting to know things as they are, we learn from Karma Yoga, the secret of work, the method of work, the organizing power of work. So it goes on. Because as we were mentioning, it's from the ignorance, the entire process of evolution has started. But when you realize that what a waste of energy, I am already perfect. This entire for millions of years, this entire process of evolution, which is going on is because of the ignorance. What's the ignorance? That I am feeling that I am free, but I cannot realize it. Because that from that ego, I'm taking it to be the real. And this all energy is actually is a waste. Why? It's a product of ignorance. And that's what Swamiji is saying, that now you have to know how to come out of it. So first, he says, a vast mass of energy may be spent in when if we do not know how to utilize it, because it will continue. Something within us is saying, you are in eternal bliss. And in my life, I find that where is bliss? Again and again, the desires come. With all my effort, I somehow fulfill the desire for the time being. A little happiness is there. Again, it's gone. I cannot just keep it with me. It's 
In the words of Shankaracharya, happiness is just like a drop of water falling on a hot cauldron. It, the time for being the drop of water you see in that hot cauldron, that's our happiness. Immediately it evaporates. Why it happens? That example which Swami Vivekananda gives is wonderful. It speaks the cause of ignorance. That something within us, our real nature is in bliss. Our mind like the reservoir which uh, uh, behind which that bliss, that eternal bliss is. That mind like the reservoir is covering it. Now in a reservoir, as we give that example again and again, that if there are waves, if the water is turbulent, I cannot see the bottom. When the water is calm, there's no wave, I can see the bottom. All our desires are like the turbulence in the mind. And when one single desire becomes very intense, it shadows all other desires. A huge wave is there. I want the latest model car. And the moment you get it, tremendous happiness you find. Oh, at last I managed to get this. I was aspiring for it for such a long time. And you think the car has given you happiness. But what has happened actually? That huge wave in the mind, in the form of the desire, I have to get the car. For the time being, it has settled down. A let go has ensued. The mind is calm. No desires are there for the time being. The happiness, which, along, which only belongs to your real nature, that bliss that emanates from within. Your entire body is now percolating that happiness. The entire body-mind is pervading that happiness, which is welling up from your real nature. But mistakenly, you think it is the object that gives you happiness. After some time, I find that, the, that my happiness of the car is no more because I get it's the thing I have already got. And the happiness has vanished. I have reached a plateau. And then again, I want a new thrill, a new desire. Again, I go for it. Again, for temporarily, I just get the bliss when I get it to continue the process again and again. And that's the cause of our birth, life after life going on. I want this, I want that. And the death comes, the desire remains, the mind which never dies, that again takes another body and it again continues. It goes on. That's what Shankaracharya says is the cycle of avidya, karma, karma. From ignorance, the desire arises. That results in action. And this cycle of avidya, karma, karma goes on life after life. Swami Vivekananda gave that example of bullock grinding the oil in the village. One stone revolving over the other. Between the two stones, the oil, this oil seeds have been kept and as the stone revolves, the oil seeds get pressed and the oil comes out. Now how to, how to press the oil seeds? So they kind of just, they chain the, the upper stone with a bullock. They will connect with a bullock and now the bullock has to go round and round, but how to make it go round and round? They will just tie a stick on the head of the bullock and they will hang, the villagers will hang some straw 
in the front of the stick. Now the bullock in its attempt, in its endeavor to get hold of the straw, it moves forward, the straw moves forward and the stone goes on grinding the oil. And that's what mother nature is doing with us. With all our intelligence, we are after all that bullock who is just grinding the oil of nature. And that's the energy which is wasted. For what? We're already free. It is ignorance which makes me go after that straw, which is never going to satiate me. It is an unending desire, ever running, never reaching, nor a distance, just a glimpse of shore. One desire is satiated, another comes, another comes. And we go on and on like that block in search of that straw. That straw is nothing but the name, fame, our search for pleasure, search for wealth, search for progeny. That goes on. Karma Yoga makes a science. Now how to come out of it? It makes a science of work. I can come out of it. Immediately, it's almost not possible to stop the work and be free. Even if I stop the work, in my mind, the desires are still there. As we were saying, that even if I say, let me stop the work and annihilate myself, I am disgusted, as many do, commit suicide. But that doesn't end. The mind is there. Just the way our nails come out from the body, from the mind, like nails, life after life, the bodies are coming out like the nails. You pair up the nail, again it comes out. One after one body is paired off, another body comes out. So it is the mind that has to be killed. That's the science of Karma Yoga. How to get rid of the mind, just not the external work. You stop it. The mind is there. If you somehow forcefully get hold of the blades of the fan, the fan doesn't stop. As long as the switch is on, the moment you release it, it will again start moving. To stop it, you have to switch off. And then what happens? The blades will go on revolving for some time to stop ultimately. So Karma Yoga speaks of that. Don't try to forcefully get hold of the blade to switch off the fan. You cannot switch off that way. You cannot stop it that way. You just the way is to switch off. Stop the desire behind the action. All the actions which has already started because of its past momentum, because of the sanskara, which gives the momentum. It will continue for some time to stop ultimately. So that's the science which Swami Vivekananda is speaking of. Karma Yoga. Karma Yoga makes a science of work. You learn by it how best to utilize all the workings of this world. Work is inevitable. It must be so. But we should work to the highest purpose. So we cannot stop the work. That work has to go on, but we should work for the highest purpose. So what's that highest purpose? That why all this is going on, that in a way it has been mentioned that when the creation in the Bhagavad Gita, the idea is there. Then the creation came into existence. It came into existence along with the idea of Yajna. So that's the higher purpose that God has created. Yajna means synergy. The word Yajna doesn't mean Homer. In Homer, actually what we are doing, 
very if you take word yagya as sacrifice it is extremely physical way of understanding it is just a limited way of understanding that i am pouring some oblations in the fire how come that the entire life is because of that yagya and that's what many of the traditional religious believers do believe every day the fire is on in house every day the oblations will go on it's a very physical limited way of understanding the yagya sahayagya prajashrishto doesn't mean that that we have to do that fire sacrifice every day it has its own particular intonations its own significance we are not uh, criticizing it but it is a very limited thing the real idea of yagya is synergy the enter creation is not evolving as per the belief of darwin because of that we are trying to uh, fight with the nature and those who succeed they win and the rest all get annihilated that with that the idea of i am a superior rest others are not uh, the, at last you get a hitler out of it that's what the hitler started believing that he uh, belongs to that aryan the only the so called pure blood will remain the others are all the lazy eaters the prey 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 what is it the pest dust in the world the more quickly they are annihilated the better acceleration is in the evolution that's not you will find even in science they are sometimes very much puzzled to find certain life forms still existing they are not supposed to be how they are existing they have somehow in somehow cooperated with some other living being and that's the general notion nowadays even take the red wood tree this the huge the long trees that example we find in so many places they are giving for hundreds of years they are there the redwood forest you will find for hundreds of years these trees exist they sustain all storm they sustain earthquake and they are there for hundreds of year tall trees but very interesting the tall trees to sustain such uh, the vagaries of the nature the all the insane movements of the nature it has to have a very strong foundation we find the roots of the redwood tree is very shallow it's on the surface it never goes down then how it gets its strength the redwood trees are always in a forest they all are together and a wonderful thing you will find that there all the roots are intertwined the moment a small sapling comes out all the trees will extend their root to intertwine the tender roots of that small sapling and it as if forms a beam the entire redwood forest the underground is a beam and that gives the strength the foundation and it can just uh, withstand any this all the whimsers of the nature nothing can affect it and it's there for hundreds of years that's the win win situation it's there throughout nature everywhere thousands of examples can be given it's only through cooperation and that's why that cooperation where you will find is in our genes when seeing a poor man i feel sympathy it's not something that sympathy i have culture it's somehow i find it comes out i cannot help myself that 
feeling of sympathy if i have not uh, made myself so pitiable with all sorts of uh, ideas which we have invented if you keep a, a just just go to any tribal area take a ordinary human being who has nothing to do with the present civilization they do have love they do have sympathy sometimes it is more than us because there is no such destructive philosophy to brainwash them it simply comes out that inevitable it's that's why in modern biology they say that altruism is in our genes they have started saying the genes itself is altruistic altruistic genes it is inbuilt in our nature so now a wonderful thing happens when i feel love compassion to do something for the entire society for my family is it because i who decide is it i who am the karta no i am just a channel it is the plan of the universe the universe which is a product of ignorance when it is beyond the ignorance it is beyond all laws but when it finds expression at the universe it always find expression as laws om rim rhythm the ultimate principle which is described as om ultimate principle the om it finds expression when it finds expression as the universe it finds expression as shakti everything is what i see is the manifestation of shakti of energy and the vachak of shakti is rim everything is energy but that energy again is not chaotic if it was chaotic creation wouldn't have been possible it do follow certain laws certain principles and that rim is finding expression as rhythm just see this our all the etymological if you go to the etymological meaning of the words root of the words they are so similar the english word rhythm is so similar to rhythm the word rhythm has we feel has a latin uh, uh, origin but you see latin sanskrit all has all the same origin rhythm 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 speaks of laws that nature follows the rhythm so as i just in the way we find that in the external nature there is a gravitation the electromagnetic force which is true here is true in mars true anywhere in the universe similarly as the living sentient being is there any law yes that is sahayagya we have been built with that altruism that win win situation i contribute something for the entire existence the entire existence in turn takes care of me it is by this win win situation we both have limitations how can we can understand win win situation that to okay, that is a very funny way of understanding it that there was a hand wrestling match going on in which the condition was you get 5 minutes time to win over your op- opponent the as many times you win to get that into the times in that that much times into 100 dollars that much is your prize so you win five times in five minutes so 500 dollars you get but those who organized the this hand wrestling hand wrestling match they they planned it in such a way that we shouldn't have to pay much how that we should when we are choosing the opponents they should be of equal strength 
so that the question of winning over the other doesn't come. So the more the win, the more we lose, the more money we have to give. So it was found that almost none were winning because the opponents were of same strength. But two of the contestants somehow whispered in their ear something. And they started the game. It was then they found in five minutes what is happening. That one was just subduing the other. A was subduing the B for one moment. The next moment B was subduing A. A, B. So what they have whispered that you just simply that uh, surrender for first time, the second time I surrender. The next time you surrender, I surrender. So one is just not imposing any strength, just simply leaving off. The one is just pressing him down, the other is pressing him down the next moment. So the game itself was a limitation. So how they overcome it? By win-win. You also win, I also win. If you just think I alone will win, no one wins. Let both of us win. So that's the way that's called win-win situation. Both I have to win. And that's how God has planned the universe, the entire universe. We all overcome the limitations by sahayagya, that love is within us. God has implanted. So if I am aware of that, in all my actions, the sense of doer, the karta, is gone. I am not the karta. And if you are not the karta, I cannot be the bhokta. I cannot be the experiencer. I am beyond that. This Lord working through me is sustaining the creation for what? For all of us to grow out of it. But as such, there is no utility for my own purpose. There's a higher purpose for it. So work is inevitable. It must be so. But we should work to the highest purpose. That always being aware of the divine force acting behind me. I just become a channel. There is no expectation. What I'm supposed to do, I'm doing. As a father, as a mother, as a part of the society, I'm doing. But not with any sense of expectation. The Lord is making me do for take care of his creation. There it ends. I have nothing to expect back from it. So that's the highest purpose. So if it from this comes a wonderful sense of resignation. So in the very beginning of the creation, that we find that Brahma created humankind along with the duties and said prosper in the performance of these yajna, the sacrifices. This yajna means the synergy. So they shall bestow upon you uh, all the prosperity. So that's the thing which is Bhagavad Gita we find. Sahayagya prajasrishtva puravacha prajapati anena prasavishvadva eshava tishtatva kamadhuk. So that's the thing which uh, the higher purpose picks off. Karma Yoga makes us admit that this world is a world of five minutes. That it is a something we have to pass through. And that freedom is not here but is only to be found beyond. To find the way out of the bondages of the world, we have to go through it slowly and surely. There may be those exceptional persons about whom I just spoke, those who can stand aside and give up the world as a snake cast off its skin and stands aside and looks at it. There are no doubt these exceptional beings. 
the strong-willed one, the moment they find that the world is a trash, is of no use, immediately can they leave off the body. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, that once the Makaradhwaja is formed, what's the use of the glass? You have to break it. That Makaradhwaja is a Ayurvedic medicine. How it is, how, how, you, have to, how you can make it? Various liquids you have to pour in a bottle and they take some time to crystallize. Once they crystallize, to get the medicine, you have to break the bottle. So all our the entire process, process of evolution is nothing but like the pouring of the liquid till the crystallization happens, till the wisdom dawns. And now there is no need of the body. There are exceptional souls for whom that crystallization has happened. They find this body is of no use. They went to that realization, have understood and can simply give off. It's not suicide anymore. Because why? There's no mind. He has killed off his mind. That all the attachments has fallen off. If you, have, if you take away the hub of the will, all the spikes collapses at a time. No spikes can now have that support of the hub. The hub has been taken up. If you remove a few spikes, the will can still remain intact because the hub is there with the other spikes. So to take away the hub is not that easy. A few can do just to deny that amnes, that limited amnes and can go and all the spikes fall off together to get rid of this psychophysical existence in the form of this will, the personality, our personality is like the will. It goes off at a time. It really needs tremendous strength. Very few have that. So these maybe there may be a few exceptional persons about whom I just spoke, those who can stand aside and give up the world. There are no doubt these exceptional beings, but the rest of the mankind have to go slowly through the world of work. Karma Yoga shows the process, the secret and the method of doing it to the best advantage. So how to do it? What does it say? Work incessantly, but give up all attachment to work. As has been told in the Bhagavad Gita, that niyatang kuru karmatvam karma jyaya hya karmana sharira yatrapi chatu this, uh, this even for sustaining your body, you have to go on doing work. You cannot stop work. So work incessantly. But what has to be done? The attachment behind the work. That's the switch. That has to be off. Get rid of that. Don't be attached with that false idea that I am the doer and I am the enjoyer. Do not identify yourself with anything. Hold your mind free. All this that you see, the pains and the miseries are but the necessary conditions of this world. Poverty and wealth and happiness are but momentary. They do not belong to our real nature at all. Our nature is far beyond misery and happiness, beyond every object of the senses, beyond the imagination. And yet we must go on working all the time. So though intellectually I have conceived the idea that I am the conscious being, I am beyond the psychophysical existence. All the things which is a projection of the psychophysical existence has nothing to do with the real me. But know it for certain, it is just an intellectual idea. 
It has nothing to do with the real realization. Unless I realize it is just a mere talk. Just like the way in the words of Ramakrishna, a small child has learned from the elders to swear by in the name of God, I promise what I, in the name of God, God's promise. When the child says, when they're quarreling among themselves, they say, God's promise, I haven't said such and such thing. I haven't done such and such thing. Very interesting. From where they have learned from the parent. The parent doesn't know who is God. They don't know who is God. This just a usage which goes for generation. In the words of Ramakrishna, Khuri Jethir Kodol Shune Bhagavaner Dibbi Shekha. Just by hearing the elders quarrel, the child also learned to quarrel and they have started just promising in the name of God. But they don't know. Don't know. So similarly, when we say all those things, I am the one who is beyond all limitations and the conscious principle, it's mere words. In Mundakupanisha, that's why it has been very nicely, it has been mentioned. Who is a realized soul? Na Ativadi, Na Ativadi, whose words never transcend his realization. So to go to the realization, that's why the Karma Yoga is required. Otherwise, with most of us, it happens. What happens? I think that life is a trash. You all try. Forget about just uh, for the entire life. Let me just, if the life is a trash for three days, four days, for one month, let me get rid of it. I let me, I have sufficient money. Let me go to some place and stay alone. And then you will find that what actually binds you is not the thing which you think useless. It is your attachment to the things useless. You yourself again will be drawn towards them. You will find there are so many responsibilities which you have to take care of. You will be, you will be pulled again. So that's why Swamiji is saying it's not that easy. You have to work through it. It's not that simply I can push them off. The nature, all that you see, the pains and the miseries are but necessary conditions of this world. Poverty and wealth and happiness are but momentary. They do not belong to our real nature at all. That's true. Our nature is far beyond misery and happiness, beyond every object of the senses, beyond the imagination. And yet we must go on working all the time. It's not that easy. We have to. Misery comes through attachment, not through work. All the misery. When some one elderly lady came to Swami Bhuteshanandaji and our 12th president and told that so much unhappiness I, that in this life, oh, we have go through so much of suffering. Swamiji, is there a way out? Swamiji was a very jovial person. He told it's very easy. It's very easy. The lady was really very much, uh, I say, immediately he, she had the tremendous urge to know how come the guru is saying it's so easy. And she asked, what's the way out that you're saying so easy? She thought most probably like, uh, you know, there's so many other quacks. They may give some, uh, some stones, uh, some, something to wear or some, oh, there are so many quacks uh, and you can be easily fooled by them. Uh, if really that happiness was so easy, uh, then uh, what do you say? That this, uh, all these stones and all, we need not have given through eternity. There's a very nice way of saying it. You know that 
all these uh, so-called future foretellers, those who give stones and all, are they greater than the uh, Vashishta Rishi, the, who was the uh, guru of Rama's family? There's a very nice way of saying, see, that when Dasharatha wanted to make Rama the higher apparent, so what he did, he asked Vashishta to find out a nice time so that I can coronate him. The coronation ceremony is this. So Vashishta finds out the time. And what's the result? Just the time of coronation which was selected by Vashishta after resorting to all the so-called planetary positions and all auspicious time. What happened? Dasharatha himself died. Raja Ram had to go to Vanavas to forest. He has to relinquish his kingdom. So these, <laughs> he has relinquished his kingdom. He went to the forest and at last his father also died. And this all after Vashishta Muni has found out the very specific time. So these all things, uh, these all are something inevitable. We cannot get rid of. The real guru is the one who teaches us how to disidentify. The world will be there with all its suffering. You cannot get rid of them. No stones will help you. You may say that such and such Baba gave me a stone and I got rid of my disease. I ask you, are you going to be eternal? You got rid of the disease for the time being. Maybe it's true. Are you going to be eternal in another five years or in another six years? It's just like a temporary solution, a patchwork. As in the Mahabharata, very nice way it has been told. What has been told? That this life is an eternal game of chess where the opponent is Mahakala. The time is the opponent with whom you are playing. And we all know who will win. We know the time will win. But still we play. But still we go on playing. You know why? We know that we are going to lose, but still we play. Just to play one or two moves extra, nothing else. <laughs> At last, the inevitable we all know, just to play one or two. So those are not the solutions. The real solution is how to get detached. So misery comes only through the attachment, not through work. As soon as we identify ourselves with the work we do, so that where we stop, the Bhuteshanandaji, what he told was the reply was wonderful. He thought that Guru is going to give some very nice solution in the form of stones or something. She was eager to get what it, and at last Bhuteshanandaji with a smile told, can you get rid of the desires? <laughs> That's the only thing. It was, it's a very simple, just get rid of it, all your problems are solved. You can get rid of the attachment. After all, we suffer because of the attachment, nothing else. Even the, that attachment, how it finds expression. We say, I want nothing from my child, just a mere little good words. Even he cannot speak that, that also is attachment. That when in our scripture, they say when the right hand gives, the left hand shouldn't know. So you, how have you given? If you have given that the child should feel that you have given that, then the concept of expectation comes. So when you are giving, you made it known. So no expectation. Little expectation is there, the misery comes. Misery never comes from anything else apart from attachment. It's a very, uh, what you said, the bland, straightforward statement. 
we may not like it we may try to cover it with all sorts of flowers but the flower will rot and the smell will come out the misery comes only through attachment nothing else not through work as soon as we identify ourselves with the work we do we feel miserable but if we do not identify ourselves with it we do not feel that misery if a beautiful picture the swami vivekananda is giving an example with this we will end our discussion today if a beautiful picture belonging to another is burned a man does not generally become miserable but when his own picture is burned how miserable he feels why both were beautiful pictures most probably swami vivekananda is relating to the example that he went with the the king whose picture he asked to spit on it he found that how miserable he was so how miserable he feels why both were beautiful pictures perhaps copies of the same original but in one case very much more misery is felt than in the other it is because in one case he identifies himself with the picture and not in the other this i and mine causes the whole misery ahamta and mamata i aham aham and from that projection that is projected is mamata mine that's the all the cause of misery when the sense of possession comes selfishness and selfishness brings on misery every act of selfishness or thought of selfishness makes us attached to something and immediately we are made slaves each wave in the chitta that says i and mine immediately puts a chain around us and makes us slave and the more we say i and mine the more slavery grows grows the more misery increases therefore karma yoga tells us to enjoy the beauty of all the picture in the world but not to identify ourselves with any of them never say mine whenever we say a thing is mine misery will immediately come when the enter this what is his, his own kingdom the king janaka's kingdom this mithila was burning in fire and he got the news that answer he gave was wonderful this mithila ayam pradagdhayam name daihati kinchana the mithila is burning not me so this idea that i am not burning nothing can touch me i am beyond that so that the suffering falls off the mithila ayam pradagdhayam name daihati kinchana so it's this that he doesn't mean uh, that as a physical being that na me that me is the one who is the eternal conscious principle beyond all this phenomenon nothing can touch it and that's when we get identified with that no attachment behind our works are there the work goes on it to fall off when the past momentum of the sanskara is exhausted but it won't create any suffering disease death everything will be observed nothing will be experienced and that's the idea of karma yoga which swami ji is bringing uh, to home bringing home to our mind so we will continue uh, with the remaining portion of this lecture in the next class with this we stop our discussion today om shanti 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 hari om tat sat Sri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu